You know, the best way to learn something is to make a fool out of yourself. The worst way to learn something, I guess, is get somebody hurt. But Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap, number 160, going live a little earlier in the day. My guest today is none other than the Bill Gustin. He is a 49-year veteran of the fire service, began his career in the Chicago area, since has moved to Florida. He is a captain with the Miami-Dade Fire Rescue Department and a lead instructor in its officer development program. He's an author and a technical editor for Fire Engineering Magazine. He is on the FDIC Advisory Board member. He has instructed firefighters throughout the United States, in Canada, the Caribbean. He has trained, spoken, lectured, and learned all over the country and beyond. He was a member of Miami-Dade's International Search and Rescue Team, the forerunner of the USAR. He made searches in the old Soviet Union and the Philippines. Uh, Captain Gustin was a pioneer uh, of building the, the modern USAR task force. Uh, my brother, Bill Gustin, it is my pleasure to have you on. I've been looking forward to this for a long time as the guest for Weekly Scrap number 160. Well, would you like to share with our viewers why you're starting earlier than usual? Well, 100%. Because uh, I am going to be 68 next month, and you know people of my age eat their dinner about four o'clock in the afternoon. So that's just, that's the reason, but thanks for playing ball with me. Absolutely. And I would do it at a heartbeat. Uh, anything I missed in the intro, anything you want to add? No, just I'm a lifelong student of the fire service, um, a son and a grandson of Chicago firemen. And uh, you got everything else just about correct. Yes. All right. Audience. Get your questions primed and ready. This looks to be an awesome weekly scrap. Uh, let's do the housekeeping right out the gate. The vigilantes, if you want to be a part of it, go to firehousevigilance.com. Join up. We have awesome discussions every month. Uh, you can find out how to join there at firehousevigilance.com. We are reading On Combat by uh, Colonel Grossman this month, and we're going to discuss it in there, and it's going to be a good time. So if you want to be a part of that discussion, uh, join up firehousevigilance.com. This episode is brought to you by Key Hose. Check them out on Facebook, the Hose Experts. Elkhart Brass, a safe fleet brand. Affordable Drill Towers, home of the Affordable Drill Tower and the Affordable Standpipe Prop. They are firefighter owned and operated. The only thing you can't do on an Affordable Drill Tower is live fire. You can repel, stretch hose lines, go through the stairs, go through the floor, do window bailouts, cut holes in the roof props, use the apartment balconies, pump into the FDC, flow water from the sprinkler system. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email, uh, info at affordabledrilltowers.com. And of course, the Fast Wrench, www.fastwrench.net. Check it out, the answer for, uh, man, it needs to go in your sprinkler bag. So, there we are. Housekeeping done, and we're ready to get to the scrap. And I wanted to talk right out the right at the beginning, and I talked to you about it. 1992, Hurricane Andrew impacted you, impacted your state, and then 30 years later, we have Ian that just came through. Talk to me about the differences and the similarities. What's changed over that time, or what hasn't changed? Well, we had gone for well over 15 years uh, without any hurricane. And uh, we actually thought it was like a thing of the past. I mean, we didn't pay any mind. 
Very few people had any hurricane shutters. And um, so, but Hurricane Andrew started a trend that is going to continue. So uh, the roof tiles of the house across the street, the terracotta roof tiles, uh, were blown off and went through my thin aluminum hurricane shutters. I was one of the few guys that have hurricane shutters. And, uh, of course, it took my roof off and it blew out, blew in the garage door and blew out the back wall. So uh, we learned a lot about that because of our deficiencies in not only our building code, but the workmanship. Okay. The shoddy workmanship of, for instance, driving a nail through OSB or plywood and you're not hitting the truss. But just go ahead, just put it on anyway. Uh, now, Andrew was a, uh, it was more like a big tornado because it affected, it had a terrible damage, terrible damage. But it was not a flooding event like uh, this one is with Ian. And um, it was in a much smaller area and it was yeah. not in a commercial area. So uh, the Miami area, Miami-Dade County, didn't take the hit that uh, Lee County, Collier County is taking, oh, all the way up through, all through the state is taking right now. So, uh, and I think it's going to have to do with building codes, brother. You know, um, we look at what happens in California and we think, well, what the heck? Those people are building their houses right back on the hillside and they're letting the vegetation grow back. Well, you know, there's a price to be paid to live in the state of Florida because the whole friggin' state is a flood zone. It's not just right at the shore. It's a whole state is a flood zone. We are going to have to improve our codes, and we're going to have to build according to code. Uh, fortunately, in my humble opinion, I don't. The future of mobile homes in the state of Florida. Brother, I just don't know. So, uh, you know, insurance companies are, they're not going to be as benevolent as they were for, for Hurricane Andrew. And I also want to make mention of something that, uh, about firefighters. My family was devastated. They were not injured, but, you know, they lost their home. And it was firefighters from all over Florida and the southeast that worked in positions on Miami-Dade, it was called Metro-Dade at the time, that worked in our positions so that we could take care of our personal affairs. That's awesome. No, that's brotherhood. That Sister, is brotherhood, yeah. yes. Man. No, and I, I – all right, I'll catch you up with uh, – Joe Gavita said, good evening, excited for this one, absolutely, Joe. Uh, Douglas Ott said, blue plate special scrap. That is That is correct. That is correct. Washed down with a chaser of Metamucil, which, <laughs> of course, I'm having right now. Uh, they got questions already coming at you from the audience. Are you ready for your uh, Joe, uh, first question coming at you from the audience? And it's Joe Gavita. He wants to know, at what point in your career did you know you needed to be a student of the craft? And what keeps you a student of the craft to this day? Oh, Oh, my dad had a huge influence on me, mm. and um, 
you know, as a kid, I was, I was never on the Chicago Fire Department. I want to clarify that. My dad was. And um, I remember mentioning to him when I was taking fire science classes at the College of DuPage in Glen Ellen, Illinois. I said, Dad, you know, I like studying about fires and building construction, but, you know, I can't wait till I get to the point where I can just set the books down and uh, uh, learn it firsthand. He says, wait a minute, young man, wait a minute. Whether you aspire to be an officer or not, you will always be a student of the fire service. You must, in order to be an effective and safe firefighter or fire officer. And, and it's not just studying for promotional exams. You can be a master of your craft, a technician. Um, in fire apparatus operations, extrication, dive rescue, hazmat, and you just don't aspire to put up with the BS that an officer has to put up with, that's fine. But we all, we all have to remain students in the fire service. Um, and, yeah, my department has done a great job, as most departments have, with continuing education. We never used to have it. It kind of used to irk me that, you know, for, for a paramedic or EMT, oh, you had to have these CEUs. You know, your continuing education. Right, right. But firefighter, nah. You learned what you learned in the academy, and that was all that was expected of you. Well, you show me a person that is not a student of the fire service, they're a danger to themselves and their coworkers. And they are also abrogating their responsibility to their departments and to their families because you got to learn as much as you can about a job that can get you killed, paraphrasing Tom Brennan. Beautiful. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yes. High-rise question. Any tactics for ventilation of the rooftop door or considerations? Oh, man. I just talked about this at Andy Frederick's training days in uh, uh Alexandria, Virginia. And, you know, FDNY, I am a big fan of FDNY. The reason I'm a big fan is, where do you think all of this research, all this knowledge, all this evidence of fire dynamics and would be if the FDNY had not not only bought in, but embraced it and spearheaded it. And what have they learned over the years? Well, maybe the routine of opening the roof might not be the right idea if firefighters are in that stairway, or as we know now, a flow path between the inlet which is the fire apartment and the exhaust. And what I did, I want to give a shout out to my friend uh, Joe Barry. We looked at a fire that uh, occurred, I believe, in 1994. And it killed Captain Drennan and Sendelberg. And um, I, I'm, I am embarrassed. I can't remember the last guy's name. But they did everything right. The first two truck opened up uh, scuttles and skylights. And then they had a backdraft in a first floor apartment and these guys were caught in the flow path on the second floor well have they learned from that yes they have especially when it comes to high rise 
you don't make any openings unless it goes through the IC with consultation with uh, uh, the companies that are operating on the fire floor. There you go. Beautiful. Solid P. Yes, everybody's saying it. High ri- okay, the high-rise question got a perpetual student. Yeah, Patrick Armitage says he is the perpetual student. You always see him sitting front and center at conferences taking notes. And that is a reputation that you have, and it's well Well, there's a reason for that. I don't have a friggin' life. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a good one. Jason Hoffman said, my favorite. Nobody has the amount of intimate knowledge about so many topics. I know. That's why I'm so excited. Jason Hovelman is one humble, fine gentleman and officer in this fire service and i'm very very proud and grateful to call him my friend yes absolutely uh absolutely cft fire operations i believe it's kurt isaacson talking said the watts street fire uh that is yes yes uh i think it was number 62 watts street it's very compelling and if you guys and maybe you can help me with this. Okay. The Division 7 newsletter that is written by Jay, Jay Jonas, who is, I would love to shake the man's hand someday. He, his analysis of fires, and he puts it in terms of modern-day fire. It's not just a historical event, but how it pertains to us today is absolutely incredible. If you can take a look at the Watt Street Fire, the Division 7 newsletter. I believe it's a kind of a proprietary FDNY thing, but um, okay. it will give you great insight. And it, it's all about, it's years ahead of its time before we really understood the term or the dynamics of flow path. Okay. No, and I like you said, the modern day impact of historical fires. Is that uh, he, kind he, of a- he, he gets it. Okay. No, I, I'm excited. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and dig down that rabbit hole for sure. Division Seven newsletter. There is. Yes. Uh, now then, I want to. Like, thanks for the answer. Can you please elaborate about the high rise question for your brothers in Nor- New Jersey North Hudson Fire and Rescue? Elaborate. Um, if you, Kevin, if you uh, expound on what you would like elaborated on, I'll throw it at him. Uh, ventilation. All right. Jonah Fateg said, was chatting with a senior captain at my department, and he mentioned his preferred initial attack tactic is something called ventilation-assisted attack. Have you ever heard of this? And if so, what are your thoughts? No, I have not. I have not. Um, So I'm I'm not going to fake it. Okay. I, I just want everybody to understand that if we vent the... Uh, bulkhead of the fire attack stairwell. I'm not saying never do it. I'm not, not not saying it's it's not the right thing to do. But we do. If that is our fire attack stairwell, we have created an area of low pressure. And also, if you think you're going to clear the building of smoke, that all depends. Once that smoke cools off and equalizes in temperature. With the ambient temperature, it's going to crap out and stratify. It's never going to make it out to the roof. There you go. I'd be uh, very, very careful. Also, and also, there's another factor involved. It's either the uh, the building smoke control system or our 
efforts with positive pressure fans, you open up the bulkhead, you lose that pressurization. Even if you do place another fan in the hallway blowing into the stairwell uh, three floors below the fire. Two or three floors below the fire. Sean Raymond wants to know, uh, tips for quickly determining the attack stairwell and evacuation stairwell when there's a lot of civilians trying to exit. Seems once the alarm activates, everyone starts flooding the stairwells and impeding the stretch, even in smells and bells. Any good tips for that, really? Any way to overcome that obstacle? Public education, and it's still going to be futile. What is going to happen? You're going to have occupants that are clueless and don't care. Uh, Hotels, they're drunk, they're unfamiliar. They're just going to stay right in bed. Then you have people that uh, can't escape or self-evacuate because they're in walkers and wheelchairs or bedridden. Then you have people that are perfectly safe in their fire compartment. That'll include hotel rooms, apartments, condominiums. But panic and succumb to smoke in an elevator lobby desperately pressing for a button for an elevator that ain't coming. Not coming. Is it going to be difficult to control occupants? You know in high-rise firefighting, we have to control the, the fire, which includes ventilation and smoke. We have to control the systems, such as smoke management, standpipe, sprinkler. And one of the toughest nuts to crack, brother, is controlling the occupants. It's we have failed or we've misled, we, the fire service, have misled the public about the protect and place strategy. Why? Uh, 9-11-01. Out of proper procedure, nobody planned to have airplanes flying into buildings with that volume of fire for decades, FDNY strategy was to relocate occupants of commercial office high-rises. The right thing to do. Right. Nobody woke up that morning thinking, hey, we're going to have a 767 crash into your building. Right. So people are going to continue to just get in your way. Um, I have a good friend of mine, uh, Jimmy Davis, He's a, a uh, captain on the Chicago Fire Department. FDNY in Chicago are uh, leaders in silencing alarms. First arriving company. I'm not saying that they're going to remain lobby control, but the first arriving company is going to get in there, silence the damn alarm so you can hear yourself think, and then follow up. You've got to follow up with a message, and you don't have to be a an engineer to figure out you got to go to the fire control room, press all call, and then check with your guys to make sure your voice is getting out and advise them that this is the Miami-Dade Fire Department. We are investigating this alarm. <laughs> now, I don't care if there's four floors of fire. Don't ever say fire. Right. Don't ever say fire. But that will do a lot. So getting back to 9-11-01, Grenfell Towers, mm-hmm. where nobody planned, and by the way, 
putting officers of the London Fire Brigade on criminal charges, on trial? What about the friggin' code enforcement official or the architect that designs a multi-story, multi-family building with one friggin' stairwell? What about them? What about them? And then locally, Champlain Towers in Miami-Dade Fire Rescue's jurisdiction, Surfside, Florida. When alarm goes off in these oceanfront buildings, now the older ones, these folks aren't thinking about escaping from a fire. They're thinking about escaping from a friggin' building that's going to come down on them. Gotcha. That's in the forefront of their minds right now. It's, it's believe me, bro, it's, it's now. Chicago... They had a terrible experience at, at um, 69 West Washington, but they learned from it. And then they had another serious fire in the LaSalle Bank building a few years later. And I could be wrong on this, but to the best of my recollection, they never opened up the stairwell doors because they could not assure that the attack stairwell was free of occupants. What happened at 69 West Washington is there were occupants that were still trapped in the uh, attack stairwell. It was an office building. You needed a code or a Cantec card to get into your respective office. And if you couldn't make it, you you didn't go. You, you, you were trapped. Gotcha. Mm. Mm. Uh, CFT. Uh, Kurt, ask. Uh, yeah, right here. Please ask the captain what he feels are some of the most important drills for a newly assigned firefighter to a company. Some of the drills he did each time he got a newly assigned backstep. Priorities and reference training when on duty as a very busy company like Aerial 2 doing six to 7,000 runs a year. Hose management, man. Hose management. I should be able to tell my company, I'm going to do a 360... Take that 200 of the front door, and that means take it around parallel parked cars, around space between the tire and the pavement. Our training on Miami-Dade used to be abysmal oh. because we didn't have the people that had, as we say in Miami, the Corazon. Now our recruit training cadre is they're all real. I talked to you on the phone about this. Real firefighters, both male and female. But before, Kurt knows about the shower drill, where we would stretch line a line into the fire station. The place was like a friggin' bomb shelter. If somebody let loose with the nozzle, we didn't care. And we would snake it in and out around corners. And one of the best drills is you got more corners than you have firefighters. So you're going to have to pull up your slack or preload, push forward your hose, and then move up to the next corner. So you may be the door firefighter, but then if you've got more corners, door firefighter, you're going to have to pull up yourself at least 50 feet that and get them to think for themselves. Nice. And, no, I love and, it. I love it. And <laughs> go, go. Can I say this about Andy Fredericks? I knew Andy Fredericks. 
And we were both making videos for fire engineering at the same time. So I sat across the table having dinner with him. And uh, I think what he did for the fire service is got us back on focus. There was a time in the late 80s and, and 90s where the fire service was a ship without a rudder. It was as if you start off on an engine because that's relatively easy. And just about any new probie can do that. But then you graduate up to a truck. And the epitome, of course, is the heavy rescue company. Well, Andy educated us that hose management and the dynamics of fire streams was a science and an art. And I am just one of the few guys I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that because it helped me get my priorities in order. And the legacy that he left in this fire service is just, there's, it's, it cannot be overemphasized. It's, we all, every one of us in the fire service has in some way, if we are students of the fire service, have been touched by Andy Fredericks. And I will, you know, at the risk of omitting somebody, John Norman, Vincent Dunn, Kurt Isaacs, Ray McCormick, and again, I if I probably will insult or hurt somebody's right. feelings, but you know what? Those guys, and you know, mentorship and being a student has nothing to do. It isn't as if the old guy educates the young guy. Now, maybe the young guy can teach the old guy a few things, and let your ego don't let your ego prevent you from being humble enough to listen to your newer people. They have, you know, as you get older, I'm not saying I have Alzheimer's yet, but, you know, I'm not in the field anymore, for one thing. Right. I'm in the training division. And I am one plagiarizing bastard. You give me an article or a training bulletin, uh, I, <laughs> I'll put my name on it. Uh, Corley. Yes, sir. I had a young lieutenant, Eddie Flores. I worked with his dad, so he's Eddie okay. Flores Jr. Came to me with a variation of the uh, the horseshoe load that we use for our uh, standpipe hose packs, and he was kind of hesitant. I said, "No, show it to me, Eddie. It's not that much of a variation. It still play off our shoulder." Right. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Uh, it's on fireengineering.com. Uh, uh, com. It's uh, the trip, uh, the uh, triple U load. Triple if U. you do it with twenty uh, fifty foot sections, it's the quadruple U load. And let me give you a shameless plug for key hose. When you want to configure hose in a standpipe or otherwise, any kind of small landing like a garden apartment. Or what these these apartments that have for exclusivity only have like three apartments per elevator lobby. Right. You gotta have some kind of hose that you can fit in a small place. It has to be very kink resistant. And hey, 
It's key holes. It's key holes. Uh, are there other ones that are just as good? Sure. But I don't have any experience with them. But right. I can certainly also, uh, while I'm on the subject, Elkhart Brass. I'm an Elkhart Brass guy, but you think that Miami Dade buys every product for our apparatus and equipment made by Elkhart Brass? No. Our nozzles are Elkhart Brass. We have a lot of other uh, appliances that are Elkhart Brass. But we have TFT, where they excel, and we also have Akron Brass. We pick out what's best. But thank God for American, I think that we still have a capitalist American society economy. We have competition. Every one of the major manufacturers of fire engineering, fire, firefighting equipment, is doing their very, very best to give us the best product. Elkhart Brass and Kehoe's and Fast Wrench. Now, I don't know. Are you going to have any kind of link to Fast Wrench? FastWrench.net. I mean, okay. That's the, now that is the site. Okay. Um, sometimes we make fun of ladies for buying shoes that they don't need and don't even fit them right and make their feet sore. But men are just as guilty. I have very few opportunities now in the position I'm in to use the fast wrench. But you know why I got it? Because it's, it's badass. <laughs> why do you think I went out and bought that DeWalt uh, six-inch little, little K-12 saw? Right. Men buy tools that they don't need. Well, I have to tell you, my own personal experience, and I bought several of my friends that tool. And it is bad ass. And uh, it's a proven performer. It's worth every dime you pay for it. There you go. Shameless, shameless, unprovoked. That's my opinion on that. My, my sponsors are, are very happy about that. Cause well, you know what? Actually sponsored today, and they're, they're down there below your name. They have a little a logo along with their fastwrench.net. Yeah, and, and I fully understand that Fast Wrench, Elkhart Brass, and Key have to sell equipment to put money or food on their family's table. They're vendors, okay? They're vendors. I get that. But uh, the products that they produce and the fact that they listen, they listen, Key, Fast Wrench, Elkhart, listen to firefighters and meet their needs as they see them. Uh, and that's what makes those three uh, sponsors great. Now, you could have picked other sponsors. I probably would have said the same damn thing about them. <laughs> well, honestly, and, I didn't know. And tell the truth. Right on. Right on. No, I love it. I have one coming at you. Uh, history, Kyle Romagus, Smoothbore Cartel, says, Cap, can you give us some history on how the Gustin Pack came to be? Oh, man. That is not exactly the Miami-Dade version. That's a variant. Okay. It's still very good. It's We used to call it our, well, hey, up until 2018, we would configure our standpipe bundles in two 50-foot sections 
stacked side by side, strap them together with a nozzle. And uh, the variation of the Gustin pack that I believe, I have a feeling Kurt Isaacson's got something to do with this. It's great. It's, but it's, they've made a, a variant of that. But um, So now I'm trying to change the language on my department so that it is no longer we refer to that 100-foot pack as the high-rise bundle or hotel roll because I don't want to con- confuse with our two-inch hose, which is exclusively for standpipe operations. Okay. Like it. Uh, coming at you. Can you speak about... Uh, let me see. Uh, there was one from... I got it. Okay. PRVs, do's and don'ts from Kevin Bryan. All right. Remember, NFPA 14. And you know, we got to get into codes. I know it's not sexy or as exciting as repelling out of a window with a bailout harness. NFPA 14, post-1993, requires a minimum outlet pressure on your standpipe outlets, hose outlets, at 100 PSI and a maximum of 175. So let's just consider a 30-story building. Now, buildings, older buildings, typically had floors that were 10 feet apart. So it takes 0.434 PSI, 0.5 PSI to raise uh, a column of water one, uh, 10 feet. So um, did I get that right? 0.5 PSI. Yeah, no. 5 PSI to raise it, 0.5 for one foot. 10 foot. Five the floor, yes. Five. 10 foot. Okay, yeah. And 6 PSI for newer buildings that tend to have floors that are 12 feet apart. Okay, so let's consider a 30-story building, brand new, whether it's residential or commercial. That would be 30 stories times 6 PSI per story is, the last time I checked, 180 PSI of strictly pressure, head pressure, at the base of that riser. Now, NFPA 14 requires a minimum of 100 PSI at the outlet. Okay, so now we're at 180 just for the elevation to overcome, and we're at 100 at the most hydraulically demanding outlets. We're at 280 PSI. Well, wait a minute, something's wrong here. The maximum outlet pressure is 175. We can't even account for the head pressure at that point. Right. So... Understand that the fire pump or fire pumps in a high-rise building don't know what floor the fire is on. Let's just consider a 30-story building with a a single-zone system, and you're just about maxing out at 30 stories. Okay, That means that you would have to have, not even counting any friction laws, you'd have to have 180 for the elevation plus 100 for your nozzle and friction loss at the tip, at the roof or upper floor, highest most floor, 280 PSI. That means that 
the PRV on the first floor would either be set at the factory or adjusted in the field for an inlet pressure of 280 PSI. If it receives less than that inlet pressure, you're not going to get 100 PSI on the outside. And that's on the first floor. As you go up higher in the building, the pressure reducing qualities or properties, I should say, of the PRVs get less and less until system pressures don't exceed 175, then they can use conventional outlets. Wow. <laughs> and also keep in mind, you cannot pump into a PRV as it was an inlet, as if it was an inlet in the case of um, malfunctioning or you can't locate the, the uh, fire department connection you will have to pump into the fire pump test manifold. Love it. There you go. There's your answer. Uh, Gustin Pack was the, uh, Michael Ramirez said, the Gustin Pack was the first change I brought back from a fire conference that every shift was surprisingly on board with. Every shift loved it. Uh, uh, Kirk chimed in and said, Captain Gustin would never call something after his name. He is way too humble. Escambia guys voted to call it the Gustin Pack based on his impact on the newly formed county fire department in 2000. Yeah. So. Uh, Kurt is a dear friend of mine and uh, has a wonderful family. And, and, and Kurt, for God's sake, you guys in the Gulf, wait, panhandle, need a break. Let's hope and pray. No more hurricanes. Those guys get a disproportionate amount of hurricanes. And in that area, Scambia County, that's a department that does a lot of work. There's no doubt about it, man. Uh, where was this at? Oh, Robert Ortega. Asked oh, about- the fake Marine. I knew it's coming. I knew the it's coming. Fake, the fake Marine. He said, he said, ask him about his heart. Heart of the city drills. Oh, well. The things that we could get away with years ago in terms of training, those days are over, okay? So I'm almost reluctant to talk about some of the things that we did in terms of live fire, in terms of live fire, because I'm telling you guys and girls, you do that today. I know this in the state of Florida. You hurt somebody and you violate NFPA 1403, which is a standard for live fire burns. You'll go to jail. You will go to jail. And then not only criminal charges, but then the civil charges for whoever you hurt, not alone, losing your job. Yes. The area that I worked in had a lot of abandoned buildings. Additionally, we had a high-rise in a, uh, a fairly well-to-do uh, building, now, a fire-resistive high-rise, where uh, we, would, um, we would have some re- very fairly realistic drills. Nice. Uh, <clears throat> at the time, I was, it was Aerial 2. Aerial 2 will be uh, uh, using a smoke machine here. Uh, if so, if, uh, if somebody called, uh, if, if you get a call for a fire smoke here, advise us. 
Smoke machine my ass. <laughs> Again, I'm telling you, you young folks, don't do it. Don't even, not even a flare, not even a road flare, because I know how firefighters are. They'll throw a road flare in the bathtub, and invariably somebody will say, oh, we'll just add this pillow. Right. Just add this seat cushion. Let's add this Christmas tree. Oh, let's pour a few gallons of gasoline. Gasoline. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. No. No. And be a part of being a fire officer is being a leader. Absolutely no live fires. And believe me, a road flare in the view of my fire department is a live fire. Nothing. Unless it is in full compliance with NFPA 1403. Guys and girls, we brought this shit on ourselves. In the state of Florida, we brought it on ourselves. My department is responsible for the death of a recruit in a fire simulator made out of shipping containers. Hmm. And if you'll if you are a live fire instructor, you know that so many of these Accidents have occurred when instructors change the game plan at the last second. Uh, let's add another fuel cell. Let's put, a little, put more fuel in there. Uh, and what happened? Or ventilation flow path. And then you end up with firefighters trapped between the fire and the uh, exhaust opening. Again, I, I, I want to emphasize this. If, if nothing else sticks with our audience today, don't light anything. I wouldn't even use a road flare, okay? Don't do it. You could ruin your career. That's very clear. Uh, I, that might be Kurt. Uh, Kurt said, ask the captain about some of the actual drills he did at Gustin Towers when they were being built. He is not just talking but went out and did it. Oh, man, I got a great story about that. Love it. Um, these, this is a complex of government-subsidized housing in, uh, uh, that was built in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, we went there while they were under construction. And they had a... Uh, a, a fire suppression system contractor they're working on a Saturday a Saturday and I asked them hey would you mind if we could uh, stretch a line off of uh, uh, the standpipe and, um, and and float a line well you know the guy looked at me like he wasn't so sure about that so I tried to reassure him by saying listen this is what we do we're going to pump the fire department connection uh with two three-inch lines, and uh, we are going to pump it at our standard starting pressure for standpipes at um, 150 psi. Now, this was a 10-story building, okay. 150 psi. And the guy looks at me, and he shakes his head, and he says, wait a minute. Yeah, you can do it, but that's not going to be enough pressure. You're going to have to pump this system at 205 psi. Why? This was my first experience with PRVs. Gotcha. 
The system pressure was 210 PSI. We pumped 150 because I thought, who the hell is this guy? Right. You know, the best way to learn something is to make a fool out of yourself. The worst way to learn something, I guess, is get somebody hurt. But then that was the big, deep dive into PRVs. And, you know, to this day, that man is a superintendent for Sprinkler Matic, which is the largest fire suppression contractor in, uh, in the state of Florida. Specialist in the high-rise buildings, the tallest buildings in the state of Florida. And he is still my dear friend and mentor, even though I could be his dad. Right on. Guys, if you're not in girls, make friends with alarm and suppression system contractors. And also, reach out to your fire prevention bureau. Those of us that never spent any time in the Bureau may have not learned the nuances of, of PRVs, the distances between stairways, whether they're sprinklered or not. My dad, when he was promoted out of Squad 2, and before he went to Engine 77 in Chicago, Spent 18 months in the Fire Prevention Bureau. And he said he hated it. Hated the hours. Hated the hours. But, in retrospect, made him a much better fire officer because he could, he knows the difference between a trouble alarm and a supervisory alarm and, of course, a fire alarm. He could look at a dry pipe valve and look at the air and water gauges and see if that valve had been tripped. And there's so many other things that he learned because he spent time in the Bureau. Nice. <laughs> and, and, and it's, like you said, invaluable for that experience. Yeah. If there's a disconnect between the Fire Prevention Bureau and your operations and training, connect it. Get everybody talking to each other, because we all have skin in the game. And, and Mike Cornelius actually asked the question, you mentioned various officials that are responsible for structure and public safety uh, from the initial plan review, cert of occupancy, until the day it is demolished and gone. What about the disconnect, and there's that word, between all these folks, especially firefighters and fire prevention folks? So he was asking that question, and you answered. and, and Right, and, and, I pretty much answered it, but yeah. you know, I'm going to give a shout-out to Mike Cornelius. Okay. And, and I'm going to give him an endorsement because he has no competitors. Okay. And that is the speed swivel. That is a speed. My speed swivel that I take with me everywhere I teach has enough miles to take a vacation to Hawaii. All right. A speed swivel is a device that engages the race of a fire department connection when someone has stolen the brass swivel, which is very... Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but <laughs> you know, all you have to do is unscrew the uh, set screw and drop out the ball bearings and you have nothing to connect to. 
it is such a common uh, problem. It's huge in Miami-Dade. No, anywhere with the yeah, high-rises or, or, or just... Sprinkler. It's huge. Yes. Well, any place you've got crackheads. How about that? And uh, Mike has come up with a device, and like I say, it's he has no competitors. Uh, I believe Chicago has one on every engine. Nice. But if you're in an urban environment, your fire department connections are uh, a very soft target for uh, vandalism. Uh, that means, for God's sake, don't ever stick your hands in an FDC and expect that uh, your 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 swivels may be frozen, uh, which means you're going to have to use a double male or female or twist the hose or missing and the best solution to that is Mike's and he has a passion for the job uh, retired as a captain out of Phoenix Okay. And, and, and I have to tell you this brother you mention a lot of these people that I already know oh yeah your network is, is huge <laughs> that is what brings me great joy at this point in my career I, I, brother you yeah, yes you have some massive you have a I can't even imagine your network and, and uh, from, yes, uh, speedswivel.com if you're wondering about the product. Uh, it, it is amazing. Uh, you can check it out there for your and look at it for your department. And if you have that need, it is the answer for that need. Uh, going back to, can you touch on the importance of being good at estimating the stretch? Feel like it's becoming a lost art. Oh, God, yes. God, yes. But this is where... Uh, Pre-fire planning is absolutely critical. You want to bring your crew together. We all we could we could spend thousands of dollars on diversity training, but why don't we concentrate on what we all have in common? We want to do a good job, and we don't want to get hurt. So, whenever you're on either pre-fire planning or a med, you finished up after a medical call. Get out that rope bag and stretch it and include your crew because you may not have the best solution. Guys, girls, how would we get a friggin' line in here? How would we do it? Would it be a well stretch? How much hose would we have to stretch from the apparatus to the building? Where do we need to spot the apparatus? And if the apparatus is blocked by a bunch of cop cars, where are we going to spot it? And how much hose are we going to need? Right on. And that is just that estimation. And, of course, pre-connects have made us lazy. Mm -hmm. Just recently, my department, and I'm very proud to say, that the upper echelon of my department listened, listened and understood that the triple-layer load was not the right stretch for us anymore. And we uh, have changed to a, uh, a flat load that's indexed with pull loops, and we can sure. pull it out, flip it over, put it on our shoulders, and lead out like a... Uh, lead out that's a chicago word by the way lead out um off of our shoulders 
And that is one of the things that is so critical in pre-fire planning. And I don't think that there was a medical call that I went on in a in the projects that I didn't bring that subject up. What where are we going to spot this rig and how are we going what is going to be the length of our stretch? Right on. And and you know and it may not be there's a culture that thinks that anytime you exceed be 300 feet of inch and three quarter, you got to fill out the stretch out with a two and a half or three inch. No. Again, I shameless plug the key. Our key combat ready hose has a friction loss of 25 pounds per 100 feet. That can be one hell of a stretch. 25 per 100 feet, 40 or 50 for your nozzle, and 200 of it is already pre-connected. How about that? Dude, I love it. There you go. Uh, Smoothbore Cartel said, flat load for the win. He said it in all caps, too. Yes, so. good. <laughs> 100%. Uh, now, we had a lot of uh, top – I mean, this all these topics so far and all these answers and all this passion so far has mainly come from the audience – but there was other stuff I wanted to touch on, and also you wanted to touch on. I wanted to talk about uh, Station well, no, I 2. I want to ask you something. Hit me, hit me, Chief. Or I'm Captain. looking at this sticker that's below your microphone, and it says, it's worth the risk. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. We are all brothers from a different mother. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. No, I'm a huge fan of Kurt, and it's worth the risk, and yes, sir. Uh, old Station 2. Talk about change in the fire service. You talk about uh, change, you know, just moving from the, the triple to the flat load. Um, but I want to talk about Old Station 2 when it got when it was being replaced with the new Station 2 and what that was like. Well, and, I'll tell you, we had one hell of a good forcible entry drill because we, <laughs> in fact, I put the pictures in a, uh, a fire engineering article. Uh you know that uh, Miami-Dade is the gold standard for uh, wind-resistant assemblies, doors okay. and overhead doors. And uh, over the years, our doors have changed. And, uh, you know, don't think you're just going to cut a triangle in a uh, an overhead sectional door. Not happening not in when Miami. You got, not when you got six inches of wind bracing horizontally across the inside of the door. You ain't going to do it. So you're going right, to have to right. take the skin off. So we made the best. Uh, was I against the new fire station? Y- yes, I, I, I was. I, I was. Old Station 2 was pretty crappy. You could hear mice up in the ceiling we were on septic so if you took a shower these big friggin we call them palmetto bugs would come out uh our sewer would back up all the time uh you had no privacy right but it was a uh it was just a a place that when i when I got on the Miami-Dade, well, Dade County Fire Department in uh, 1978, 
uh, I they sent me to an area that was largely suburban. That's not what I wanted, and I had learned that where where can I go to get the most fires? Right. Station two, seven thirty, nineteen. Go to one of those companies. So I kept writing memo after memo after memo. There's no computers. Finally got my chance. When I walked into Station 2, I thought I was back in a big city fire department. And the people there were into the job, and they were also into me. They were into me. They all were natural teachers. Nice. They were all, every one of them was a natural teacher and cared about teaching me. Well, I fell in love with that fire station. And uh, when I made, well, I was a fireman there, firefighter. And then when I made lieutenants, they sent me right back to the suburban area. And when I was extra, I would ask the, uh, at the time it was a, a, a battalion captain, Sir, could I, uh, if I'm going to be extra, can I go to station two? What? Are you nuts? You're going to have to drive right past your house several miles to get to station two to be in that neighborhood. Yep, that's what I want. And uh, no, uh, that, that, that station is the, uh, the love of my life. I never was in the military. Uh I would never really play sports. I know you can't see this, but I've got the Joker, and I've got Captain Station Two, and uh, that's that's the love of my life. And I can tell you this: the man that is taking my place right now, that took my place, Station Two. Uh, captain, that's an engine because aerial pieces don't work at station two. You wear them out on medical calls. Okay. You wear them out on medical All those 5,000, 6,000 calls are mostly door to door socialized medicine. <laughs> um, yeah. Chief, so, Chief, oh, go ahead. Chief David Rhodes said running the socialized medicine wagon. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and go I, ahead. I, and I love every one of his hound dogs. Even though they chased me up a tree, uh, the guy that has my position right now, uh, fellow's family came from Trinidad. If I could hand pick the best captain to take my place, it would be him. His first name is Kevin. He's a uh, he's a true true captain, and that means the love of the station. The love of the company, the love of the other companies that are in that station, the love of the community and the context in the community. This guy has done what I have done. You know the property manager of every high-rise building and industrial high-rise building in your area and the building engineer of your factories, your industrial processes, your boatyards on the Miami River. You you know those people face to face. And you develop that rapport. 
and he's doing it very well. Nice. So uh, the position of captain at Station 2 is being very well taken care of. There, and that might be the best endorsement of the of the, and, of the show. And, and also, he does a hell of a lot better job with housekeeping because I'm naturally just a slob. Uh, <laughs> so uh housekeeping was never one of my big fortes but uh now rust on the halligan oh my god i'd have a stroke but housekeeping in the firehouse eh, i just didn't notice it right on. but this guy's got it he's got an attention to detail much greater than mine beautiful uh tactics talk basement fire basement fire on the fourth floor Okay, I wrote a safety bulletin for my department. Caught in the flow path, fighting a basement fire on the fourth floor. And uh, I had some young fellows tell me, ah, the old man has finally completely flipped his lid and lost his marbles. A basement fire on the fourth floor. Man, consider duplex apartments. The duplex can be... Usually, it's you enter one floor, and it's living room, dining room, family room, and then you go upstairs to the bedroom. Okay. But, man, in, in my district or in my jurisdiction, you enter a – there's no hallway. Let's say there's a hallway on the first floor, and there's a hallway on the second floor, but there's no hallway on the third floor. Uh, let me make sure I got that right. First floor apartment, and then you go to the second floor. That goes to the second and third. Fourth floor has no hallway. Okay. Why? Because you enter on the fifth floor, and you go down to the bedrooms. Down to the bedrooms. Wow. So, if you enter for a bedroom fire on a fifth floor apartment, you're going down the stairs. And God forbid the fire or firefighters fail those wind windows on the fourth floor when you are in that flow path gotcha. coming okay. from. And now we're talking Cherry Road, right? Uh, San Francisco. Uh, so I wasn't tracking at first, but now these are separate units. But the, you enter on the fifth and go down. Yeah, to the you got to okay. go down to those bedrooms. Okay. So you got to basically a. Uh, 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 a bedroom fire in the basement, but it's on the fourth floor. On the fourth floor. No, that makes complete sense. Yeah, it was hard to track for a moment. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because you thought I flipped my lid. No, no, just for just for a short second. Just for a short second. <laughs> uh, uh, the biggest mistake. We talked about it on the phone. You said oh, you the- man. Oh, we could spend it. Let's put it in terms of a fire burning below you. Okay. Okay, because we talked about that on the phone. I've made a lot of bad mistakes. Uh, Did it result in firefighters getting hurt? No. Did it result in civilians possibly dying because of me? Yeah. Let's just look at fires burning below you. Uh, And it's just, it's basically, it's, you don't, realize you have a fire below you 
and I'm not going to cite any recent incidents. We all know if we're students, you don't realize you have a basement. And to think the answer is a 360, that's no. I had a buddy of mine, Daryl Liggins from Oakland, California. Unless you're a damn mountain goat, you ain't doing a 360 on some of these buildings that are built on a hillside. So we responded to a call of smoke in apartments above uh, uh, commercial occupancies after hours. And in that neighborhood, every door and window of the commercials were concealed, uh, secured with uh, uh, overhead rolling security shutters, secured by American 2000, you know, shackleless padlocks, hidden shackle padlocks. Did it occur to me that the fire could have been in the grocery store? No, I made a critical mistake, an embarrassing mistake, which could have got us killed. I allowed a civilian to do my size up for me. And he said, there's a fire, there's smoke, there's smoke in my apartment. This is the stairwell. Go up the stairs, go to the left. It's all the way at the end of the hallway. I left the door open for you guys. Critical mistake. Where's the fire? Down there in that commercial. Oh, where was it? It was in the commercial. And I have to tell you, my boss, uh, Chief Stevens, got arrested his soul, two tours in Vietnam, and the job took his life uh, too early. Uh, After I made this horrible mistake and humiliated myself, myself, what do you think he said to me? Nothing. Nothing, because he understood that nobody felt more humiliated and ashamed and embarrassed than I did. And he knew I'll never make that mistake again. And that's that was the lesson learned. I could have learned it. I humiliated myself. My God, it could have been worse. I could have right, got somebody right. hurt. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's powerful. And his leadership lesson that that he gave to you through his silence and an understanding, you know, how yeah, that's beautiful, man. Um got time for more questions? I'll throw some more at you. Uh a couple more and then okay. remember now, I, I've got a no, no, I don't want to keep you too long. Well, you know, I've got to, I'm going to have to wring out my depend undergarments here pretty soon. <laughs> okay. Right, Kirk said, uh, pl- uh, I'll get to the, uh, can you remember a time when you began to notice the fires building faster than usual due to the contents changing? Oh, God, yes. Oh, oh, let's use this comparison. Okay. I was a kid that grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. And uh, when you had a fire, let's say in your couch, you would call the fire department. It was answered at the police station. And at the time, this is before pagers, they would uh, ring a bell that was connected to the telephone line in the volunteers' uh, homes and blow a big siren up on top of the fire. You could hear it throughout the whole town, especially at night. It was would wake me up, and I would just be thinking, what's really going on? Right. 
the volunteers would uh, leave their uh, auto repair shop, their uh, landscaping business, whatever it was. Uh, they were in town. Pharmacy, plumbing, they would leave it. Get to the fire station, or they would get out of bed in the dead of winter in the middle of the night and drive their cars to the fire station. Little blue light. They would get to your house in about 25 minutes, and they still had something to save. And yeah. usually with a booster line. And no, in Chicago, not- in Chicago, hand pumps, they would get there quickly. I remember in the early 70s riding with my dad in Chicago. I'll hold all the companies coming into 2221 South Halstead. It's just a mattress. Just, just a, a mattress <laughs> today? Oh, my God. The pent-up energy in petrochemical-based materials. Hey, if you haven't watched that recent comparison of legacy versus uh Modern, Modern petrochemical based. They just UL just did a, a recent one. It's scary. Be afraid for your own family as firefighters. Be afraid. You have no time. Right. And what we found out was, we used to put out fires with booster lines. Then it was inch and a half lines. And then I remember these things where the fire would laugh at us, and it would be vaporizing our streams. And what it was, it was a gradual shift from naturally occurring material to petrochemical-based materials. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's why now our target flow, well, everybody's target flow ought to be at least 150 gallons right. a minute. Now, at least if, you put the, if, if, if you put the water where it needs to be, you might not need a lot of water, but you better have the, uh, the capability of flowing that. Remember, the objective is to suppress the fire, not to see how much water is left in your booster tank. Okay. I like it. I love it. And uh, there's a. Uh, I always like to ask. I always love to ask. I'm a. I'm an avid reader, and I love to get new books to read. I'm currently 67 books behind in my reading list because I ask this question every week, and I get new books to add to my list. But book or books that you think firefighters should be reading, and then Kurt had a awesome idea to ask you to suggest articles uh, for newer firefighters and new step-up drivers that you have written. Uh, Some from the 90s or ones that a firefighter less than 10 years might not even know about. So anyway, books first and then I'll get to your article. Oh, for firefighters? Yes. How to Understand and Get Along with Females by Bill Gustin. (laughs) You can get that on Amazon? <laughs> no. no. Uh, everybody needs to read the Bible. Uh, Fire Officer's Handbook of Tactics. Uh, if you have never read Firefighters and High Rises by Chief, retired chief out of Houston, Matt Stuckey. Stuckey, okay. Matt Stuckey. It is a must read. Okay. A must read. Let me think of think of other ones. Uh, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I think it's James Smith from uh, Philadelphia. Uh, and then, as far as articles, 
I, I, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna let me put on my technical editor for fire engineering hat. You know which hat that is, the one that has a little propeller on the top. Okay, lessons learned. You could have one day on the job. Lessons learned. That's what we're starved. That's what we're starved to hear. That's what we're starved to know. Especially tragedies. Let's learn from tragedies. Let's learn from the reason I'm on here right now. My humiliation humiliated myself by lessons learned so that our brother and sister firefighters do not have to experience them themselves. That's solid. Preach. Dominic Dominguez said preach. Absolutely. Uh, CFT Fire Operations. Thanks, Captain G, for saying the Bible. Absolutely. Um, articles that you wrote specifically, because I'm going to put a link to them with this. With this. Some of your favorites or ones that you're most proud or What's the best way to word this? Ones that you think young firefighters should read because they might not even know they exist. Oh, it's, I've written so many. <laughs> my, like, my goal has been to write three articles a year for fire engineering since 1993. So I've written quite a bit. I have to tell you, I'll, I'll plug my article for, for uh, October. Yes, do it. Uh, it is uh, Tactical and Strategic Considerations for Engine Company Officers. Nice. So I think that's where we're going to leave it because uh, it's time for me to eat my early bird special okay. and wash it down with my Metamucil. Okay, perfect. But, uh, hey, keep your head and your heart in this job. And even after you retire, when firefighters retire, some of them go through quite a separation anxiety. You can still teach. You can still mentor. And you'll still have a huge impact on the fire service. And some of our teachers, our mentors, have done more to educate the fire service after they retired because they weren't Concerned with all the minutia, sure. which is a euphemism for BS. Love it. Now, all right, my brother. Okay, okay. I won't. I won't pull you. Are, are we good to go? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are. Hey, thank you for your evening. I really do appreciate you, Captain, right. coming for on all, and sharing time. For uh, all our viewers, just please keep your head and your heart in the job, and may God bless you in our most noble profession. I love it. I'll do my, my outgrow. That officially makes it 160 scraps in the books. The Bill Gustin. If someone wants to get a hold of you or get info from you, what is the best way to do so? Bill at Gustin, G-U-S-T-I-N, firetraining.com. There it is. Um, there it is, brother. Coming up next week, uh, killer lineup of 20... 20- 22 continues. Jay Bonifield is next week. West Coast Fire Training. So you know you got Bill Gustin this week. Jay Bonifield next week. It's gonna. Does it get? I mean, it just keeps getting better and better and more fun. Uh, please go and rate the podcast. Give it five stars. Send me a screenshot. Get your stickers, uh, sponsors, everything. Much don't scrap. Uh, I hope the tone stays silent unless it is burning. Everybody, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the weekly scrap. 
Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.